This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing The Lower Decks, Episode 5, Season 2, An Embarrassment of Duplers. But first, we got to dig into everything that happened at Star Trek Day. And there was a lot. So, and before we even do that, I just have to thank my delightful podcast partner, Tony, who was at the event, up all night working on stuff. And because he's in LA and I'm in New York, had to be up at 5 a.m. so that we could talk about it. So thank you, Tony. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> you are a prince, sir. So you are at the event. So there, you know, when we look at the event as a whole, the Star Trek Day, it was this was the second year of them doing a big Star Trek Day event, I think. Yeah, although it's night and day comparing the events because last year, because of COVID, was virtual. It was good, um, but this was a real event, a big event at the Skirball Center, which is a museum here in. Los Angeles, uh, about to open up the Star Trek, new Star Trek exhibit. You know, it was huge. I actually spent most of my time at kind of a separate part of the place where the event wasn't happening, which is where all the red carpet stuff was happening. Yes. And the Trek movie team had a really good time spotting you in the background of shots. (laughs) If you watched the event, there were these two women who were kind of doing a live thing from the red carpet. Oh, I'm going to talk about them in just a moment. But yes. Next next to them was Entertainment Tonight. And next to them was me. Yep. Which seems like a good spot, except Entertainment Tonight, which is owned by Viacom CBS, were able to like scoop up people coming down the carpet that I really wanted to talk to all the time. And they did like keep them for very long times. That's the tricky thing about the placement on those because I've done those too. And it's like sometimes it's good to be next to a big one because we want show creators and the big news outlets don't always spot those people. But then if you're with the other Trek sites, they do. So it's kind of a crapshoot. Early on, there were people coming down the carpet. Um, It was Rod Roddenberry and Mike McMahon. And the Entertainment Tonight person like figured out who I was. And they were asking me, oh, who, who's, who are those guys? Uh, <laughs> so uh, I had to explain like who. And I said, well, that's Rod Roddenberry, son of Gene Roddenberry. And I said, you know who Gene Roddenberry is, right? <laughs> it's like, and she's like, um, he's the – and I'm like, oh, God. Okay, so that's a perfect segue <laughs> for a moment. I need like one minute or 30 seconds to rant about those two hosts. The okay, two- these are different people I was talking about. These are, I know, but it's the same problem which is we had two hosts doing a live red carpet show who one of them even admitted never having seen discovery clearly like very lightweight star trek fans and again i don't tend to you know like what you like but don't host a big event with legacy and new shows and not be able to pronounce ricardo montalban george takei they they clearly had not heard these names before didn't know who people were and we're honestly so horrible that we spent a lot of our time uh, in Trek movie Slack just quoting them and complaining about them. I, I caught only a little bit of their shtick. I mean, they were very effusive and, um, you know, excited. And they seemed to know a lot about Lower Decks, actually. Yeah, one so, of them is a big Lower Decks fan. So I think that they, yeah, they they weren't total novices, but they definitely weren't all Star Trek knowledge based, but you know, but let's, I mean, you know, let's move off the red carpet. I mean, we'll, we'll be posting stuff from the red carpet over the next week. I did get some good interviews. Yeah. Who did you talk to? I had a good chat with Akiva, who's obviously the showrunner 
on both Picard and on Strange New Worlds, although he's always very elusive. Like, it, like you ask him a question, you never know if he really ever actually answered it. Um, but uh, I did get a couple things, you know, that they have started shooting season three. Season three is kind of the planned, and although they're open, this is Picard, to doing more. We may not fully grasp why they're using the Borg Queen, but I think we we also got that in the trailer, that the Borg Queen isn't there to... Terrorize people. I think he used the phrase utility, actually. Well, I thought that was made kind of clear in the trailer, so we can talk about that when we get there. Yeah, good chat with Anson. Great chat with Mike. Uh, we I brought up last week's episode, and he just kind of went off on defending masturbating Megato. He brought it up and he 100% stands behind the masturbating Megato and everything about that episode. As well, he should. I mean, it's his show and he made the decision and he liked it. And look, the truth is we didn't like that episode. A lot of people did. So that's comedy. Different tastes, different moments. But, you know, he did say there is a line, you know, there are things that he would do on Solar Opposites that he would never do on Lower Decks. Maybe he did talk about the rest of season two, which he did a little bit in the panel and just saying how big it is. And, um, you know, it, it does feel like they're kind of moving on to a new phase for the second half of the season. Anyway, all that stuff will be on the site uh, over the coming days. So keep a look at trekmovie.com. But in general, the event was very well organized, um, very big. And, you know, the actual event itself was quite amazing. The live orchestra and Jeff Russo. Oh, I wish I had been there live for that just to hear those themes. I mean, it sounded I was watching on my computer and it sounded good. But just to be there and actually hear the orchestra play those would have been amazing. Christine from our team was there and she was in tears. My hat's off to Paramount Plus for putting all this together. It was kind of a mix of panels and these little scripted testimonials from members of the legacy people right they were called legacy moments those were overly scripted i feel yeah same they they were overly scripted like i thought sirak left and went first and he was trying so hard i felt to make it sound natural like he worked he did a good job and he would take moments to try to really feel the meaning of what he was saying which he did i mean especially when he was talking about avery brooks but definitely it was quite scripted it felt very awards show banter at yes. that point. Yes. You know, Will Wheaton, who was the host with Mika Burton, he, even though he was highly scripted, there were teleprompters, et cetera. He was good at making it feel less scripted when he was talking. I think overall, he was terrific. Like his level of genuine enthusiasm, his energy, plus his knowledge Plus, he's a smart guy who thinks on his feet. I thought he was, he's just the right guy for these things. And I think he did a great job. And I actually really enjoyed the moment when he and Rod Roddenberry were talking about being the same age, which I guess I hadn't put together, um, so that they met when they were 14, which is adorable. Yeah, Rod was a, a PA on yes. TNG. So Will was an, I mean, Will kind of outranked him in a weird way, you know, because he was an actor on the show and Rod was, you know, carrying people's coffee, but he was Rod, Roddenberry PA, not, you know, Rod Jones PA. So I'm sure people treated him pretty nicely. I have worked with those PAs. 
<laughs> in my production experience. And no, they don't get the same jobs as other PAs. <laughs> so let's go through the events show by show, but we're going to do Lower Decks last because we'll transition into our review. But one thing we should talk about first is there was a, a little video from Alex Kurtzman who wasn't able to attend because he's in Spain shooting. Alex did have, you know, he, you know, it was a lot of the usual stuff of, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants and Star Trek is great at allegory and you know all that kind of jazz. But one thing really caught my attention, which is at the end, Will, because it was kind of a back and forth between him and Will Wheaton pre-recorded. Will said, you know, we've got these five Star Trek shows. What's next, basically? Alex was careful at first because he said, we want to make our choices very carefully. Yeah, he said, uh, you know, they're not in a hurry to put uh, to to add a sixth show. I think the phrase he said was only put things on the air that are worth it, which makes sense. Yep. In the in the past, I think they've implied or or outright said they're not going to put anything out until one of the five shows has wrapped up. Right. Which makes sense. It's a lot of shows. Right. If you want to do one Star Trek a quarter, then, you know, five's all you need. In, in theory, it's one too many, actually. Right. Um, and I think because Prodigy is for a, for kids, that one sort of is considered a little bit separate. Yeah. But then out of the blue, he brought up, for the first time, he's actually talked about it, actually. Mm-hmm. Star, the Starfleet Academy show. Yes, which he said we're very excited about. And he talked about how when you're on a starship and you finish Starfleet Academy, you you know who you are. But when you're a, you know, he actually said to Will Wheaton, when you're a kid on a starship, you're still really figuring out who you are, which, of course, Will Wheaton understands that. But t- talked about, you know, Starfleet Academy and and figuring things out, which, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the years of a possible Starfleet Academy show. But now I think would be a better time. I mean, not now, now, but coming up would be a better time to do it. I think. Yeah, he said it's a, it's an interesting way to hold a mirror up. I think to society, yeah, because it'll sh- show uh, how the young people deal with the issues created by the old. Essentially, I think there's you know allegories, obviously today, climate change, stuff like that, where you know the younger generation are very concerned about issues that have resulted from previous generations. Um, he didn't bring that up, but that's kind of what the sense I got. But yeah, same. The reason I thought this was interesting again is because he brought it up. Like Will said, you know, what are you working on essentially? And he didn't say what, what, what didn't he mention? He did not mention section 31. Yeah. Did I pass? That felt like a quiz. That was a quiz. You did pass. So the implication here is. This is the, to use a baseball analogy, on deck show. Yeah. And Section 31 used to be considered the on deck show, but I think they're back in the dugout to extend the metaphor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And this is the show warming up. So here's the one thing I'll say about a Starfleet Academy show from my own personal viewpoint, which is what I would want to see is I would want our main character to be an alien. I think it would be really cool. I, Star Trek has not done that yet, where the lead in a live action show is an alien. And I think that it would be a really great way to have that, to view not only kids looking at adults, but also outside looking at humans. 
It's a good idea. I think they could do that if it's like a heavy prosthetic alien. I don't know. You know, so it depends on how alien they are, perhaps. I'm not sure. But definitely we know it's not going to be a standard, you know, American white guy kind of person leading the show. Young Jim Kirk. That's what I was going to say. It's not going to be young (laughs) Jim Kirk. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing against young Jim Kirk. He's a great guy out there somewhere. I do love him. (laughs) Okay. So let's move on to shows that are actually in production and coming. And we'll do them in the order of Arrival. And then we'll wrap it up with uh, Lower Decks. Which means our first one is Prodigy, which we finally got a premiere date Thursday, October 28th. So they're going to be a, there's going to be a week gap between the last episode of Lower Decks season two and the beginning of Prodigy on Paramount Plus. So Tony and I will go into hibernation for that week, and that no, we won't. <laughs> um, and it's going to be a one hour premiere. I, I guess we should seek clarification on because it's a ten episode first season. Is is this going to be one hour? premiere or two half hours that they call a one hour premiere you know what i mean right yeah i mean i would think a one hour premiere makes sense because they have to set up the whole concept so it makes sense to me that it would be a one hour and then there then nine more but um but we'll see we'll find out it's probably that it sounds like a lot of stuff happens on this asteroid and there's still a lot of the trailer because they put it put out a trailer and it feels like Almost all of that trailer is from the one hour episode. Yeah. Just a little clips maybe from other things, but lots of, lots and lots of setup. So shall we talk about the trailer? Yeah, we should. And by the way, you guys, we have all the trailers at, at trekmovie.com. So you can go see all of them. I mean, overall, uh, the show still looks and feels the kind of way we were hoping it would. It looks fun and exciting. Um, there's more lightness in this, which is something that I was you know, concerned about as a show, you know, might be too serious of a tone, but I think we got a lot of moments of levity in there. So I like that you're worried about the kids, Tony. It's nice. I'm so worried. I want the kids to have a good time. I I want them to be laughing. You don't want them to be scared. Well, a little kids like scares, (laughs) you know, little, especially little boys and little girls like a little scare, but it should be fun. And this does seem like fun. And it's not all Jason Metzoukas making fun. It's there's all sorts of fun happening. Yeah. So overall, I thought it was and the villains are, are, are scary. So I think it looks balanced and fun. So but, you know, there there's some a lot of little details. So what are some of the little details that caught your attention? I mean, the biggest thing I noticed was that Gwyn, who's the daughter or creation of the diviner, who's the main villain, appeared to be tied up on the ship. Like, so it made me wonder, like, did they grab her and make her go with them, even though she didn't want to? The previous trailers and even this implies that Dahl and Gwyn are friends. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, so yeah, yeah, it, it is unclear for sure. And intriguing. Yeah, because at one point he seems to be imploring her to leave, but then yeah, yeah she looks like she's all bound up in in the captain's chair for some reason. Um, <laughs> you know, they don't seem to know how to work the ship, but they know how to turn on the the captain's chair. You know, hostage restraints. So I don't know <laughs> because every captain's chair comes equipped with hostage restraints. 
there's a a little detail which I think is significant. In the previous trailer, we thought they found a crashed ship, and yeah, they did. But it appears to be inside of some cavern or cave. It's not just out in the open. Did did you get that? Yes, it seemed to be like buried in rock or in a cave or somewhere where they unearthed it. I'm sure a lot of Star Trek fans had the immediate thought when they saw a ship inside a cave. Can you guess where I'm going with this? Why don't you just say it? Because I don't like being quizzed first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> the the Pegasus. Yeah. Yeah. We know that there's something about the ship. And and I talked to the Hageman brothers on the red carpet and they said, yeah, that's part of the big mystery. There's definitely something going on with this ship, which is the USS Protostar. It's an NX class. So I think this is a phasing ship and that's how it got inside. Interesting. I mean, we know it's experimental. The question is, if it's a phasing ship, can they get the whole thing out? Because I feel like the Pegasus had parts of it that became one with the rock. Well, you know, they, they perfected the technology. Yeah, they've had some time to work on it. Now, in the trailer, they show them blasting out of this cave or whatever. So they maybe haven't figured out how to work that part of the ship yet. I mean, they were, you know, accidentally turning off the gravity and stuff like that. That's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> They did figure out how to use the phasers. And the badges. <laughs> now, the badges, it looks like they have their own version of a badge on this show. Yep. It's similar, but different. It's almost very TOS. It's definitely not the Voyager badge. It's not the Discovery badge, but it, it looks kind of like a metal version of the TOS badge a little bit. Almost like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek badges, now that I think about it. I thought that the the thing I think was important was that they were symbolically significant too, because when they find them, you know, it's like this big moment and it's our, as viewers, our connection to like, oh, Starfleet. You know, we, we got a sense of what people are doing. It looks like Zero, the Medusin, is the Helms creature. Zero is a Medusin and says they've never piloted a starship. But of course, the one thing we know about Medusins is that they're known for their navigational abilities, besides that they have to live in a box or a robotic body or something like that. So I have a feeling that Zero will pick it up pretty quickly. They do show bits of when they get out and they're traveling around the Delta Quadrant. And it's definitely the Delta Quadrant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what species did I say I don't want to see? The one we saw. The Kazon. <laughs> Although I have to admit, they, they, it looked cool. Maybe the Kazon's going to work in animation. Maybe they're going to do to the Kazon what DS9 did to the Ferengi, which is make them work. That's my hope. Right. Or it's brief. But yeah, there's always a way to make them work. So maybe they did. I didn't see any of the so I was sad. But maybe they'll come up. You know, a little thing, but they appear to have a dune buggy. Yes. Not the Argo, but some kind of cool looking dune buggy thing. I, I wouldn't use the word cool looking, but you can. But that gives them the opportunity to have, you know, little adventures on planets. I think one of the questions is, does this ship land? It shows it crash landing at some point. But does it, you know, naturally land on planets? Or are they beaming and sending down the dune buggy? Uh, who knows? Yeah, it looked like it could land like Voyager does. But um, but who knows? It was a big pain in the ass to land the Voyager. They, they did it, what, once? They did it in basics. And I don't remember where else. I think the Diviner was super creepy. We finally got a good look at him. And it he reminded me of Gollum. Oh, yeah. He had a little Gollum in him. 
you know, just something about him is decrepit and old and which is, I guess, why he needs to float in his vat. But <laughs> Jinx, his whole vi- I was just about to say that's why he's floating in fluid. But his whole vibe, the, you know, get me my ship. It was all very my precious. And it made me think he's been maybe waiting to use that ship, like had plans for it specifically. And then they found it right before he was going to do something was the vibe I kind of got. I did ask the Hakeman brothers. I'm like, so what's the deal here? You, you're in the Delta Quadrant. You're heading back to the Alpha Quadrant. You know, are you taking the same route as Voyager? And they said, no. <laughs> Although we are going to run into some familiar faces. Um, but they also implied that we're going to see elements of the Alpha and Beta Quadrant. So it isn't as straightforward as we may think. Um, the one thing I liked at the end was that they have hologram Janeway is addressing them and she calls them like a motley crew and then says this nice thing at the end that I thought was such a beautiful way to end the trailer. Like just saying something about potential, right? Is that what she said? You have potential. basically. Yeah, which I thought was such a lovely note to end the trailer on and a, a nice note for the show. She doesn't seem to have a security protocol because some people just show up on the ship and she's like, hey, how you doing? Go ahead. Take over. Right. I'll help you, so, whoever you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but it was very cool seeing her and she's still got it. Of course she does. Was there ever any doubt? Of course not. But it was still great to finally see her because we've been hearing about her for so long. And now we finally saw Hologram Janeway you know, hanging out with the kids. So there were shots of the bridge with Gwyn tied up in the chair. But I think that moment you're talking about showed Dahl in the chair, which is more confirming that Dahl is basically the captain. Yeah. And Janeway kind of hangs around the bridge and uh, she gives them advice, I guess, while they're trying to figure out how to work things. Yeah. All very exciting. The panel was fun. But there was nothing really learned during the panel except everyone thinks D. Bradley Baker is fantastic and everyone loves Murph. Which we love him so much that last night Kayla created a little icon for him in Slack so we can use our Murph now. So we are all very excited about this one. So the next show is going to be Star Trek Discovery Season 4. The surprise is it's arriving on November 18th. Much sooner than we thought. We were thinking maybe last week of December so they can squeeze it into 2021. And actually, I remember when we interviewed Mary and Noah, they were shocked at the idea that it would even be airing this year. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, they just wrapped up like two weeks ago. Um, Obviously, they started shooting last November, so they've had time to work on the early episodes. Sure. You know, because of the AR wall, a lot of the... CGI had to be created even earlier. So I'm not that surprised, but I'm still surprised mostly because this means they're going to be overlapping Prodigy and Discovery. Yeah. So there's going to be five or six weeks where there's two shows in a week, which is going to make our lives complicated. Well, complicated as podcasters, exciting as fans. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) But But I think it also, you were right to kind of say, they still seem to see Prodigy as different. It's for a different audience. And therefore, you know, maybe they're not expecting a lot of people to watch both. Super fans will. But they're saying, you know, the adults are going to watch Discovery and the kids are going to watch Prodigy. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's very different tones, very different type of show. 
There was no Discovery trailer. They did show a, a clip to the audience, but it wasn't streamed. But I think it was from stuff we've already seen. Basically, it was red alert. It was on the bridge. It was slow motion. Everyone was floating in the air. And then they get slammed down to the ground, which we know is an effect of the big bad of the season, which is not a person, but this gravitational anomaly, which is affecting the entire galaxy or something. The latest synopsis is uh, season four of Star Trek Discovery finds Captain Burnham and the crew of the USS Discovery facing a threat unlike they've ever encountered with... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) um, With Federation and non-Federation worlds alike feeling the impact, they must confront the unknown and work together to ensure a hopeful future for all. Okay, I really enjoy Discovery. I like the show, but that could describe almost every season. It's like super generic. Yeah, it's always a huge threat. It always threatens everybody. They always have to work together, which is fine. I like the show, so but that's not super descriptive. There was a, a panel. So it was Michelle Paradise and... Uh, Wilson Cruz, Blue Del Barrio, and Ian Alexander. There wasn't a lot covered in the panel. I mean, Michelle Paradise, I swear, you know... It, if you ever had her in an interrogation room, she wouldn't <laughs> spill anything. If you tortured her, you know, you captured her behind enemy lines, you, you're fine. She's not going to reveal anything. She's good. She's smart. <laughs> They've already kind of said this before, but they talked a little bit more about how they're going to fulfill the promise of season three with Grey becoming seen. Yes. I talked to Wilson about this, and he said it's through his personal impact. So he does it as Dr. Culper. He comes up with a solution, some kind of crazy science doctor solution, to give Gray a corporeal form, is how he described it. A body, basically. There was just one other really nice moment, actually, on the red carpet with the uh, girls that I didn't like. Um, where Mary Chifa was there just for the event and she and Wilson were talking because they were excited to see each other. And she talked about introducing her girlfriend to Deep Space Nine for the first time. And Wilson was not aware that Mary was publicly out as a gay woman. And it was this very beautiful, sweet moment. Like they both got almost a little teary. She was talking about how important the inclusion is to her as she continues to watch discovery and it was just it was a really nice very real personal moment between the two of them that i thought was lovely it was although if you saw her boots on the red carpet you'd know she was out for sure those boots were awesome i mean we knew she was at you know at in las vegas she introduced me to her girlfriend as her girlfriend i guess he just this must be i mean it was news to me also uh, not that i'm like her buddy or anything um but i just it was really it was just such a sweet genuine moment in the midst of crazy red carpet stuff there was a little bit of talk about saru during the panel again we kind of sort of figured this out saru starts on kaminar but makes his way back to the ship and onto the show and doug and saru are still a big part of the show and never won't be basically michelle paradise was like we love him he's here forever We're not ever letting him go. That's really it for Discovery. They released a picture of Sonequa Martin-Green as Captain Michael Burnham. But, you know, we knew that already saw that in the trailer. So, you know, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) 
but still looking forward to November, which is a little sooner than we thought that was happening. Yeah. So the next show in order, and now we actually have a month target, is Star Trek Picard. So that's coming in February 2022. They also officially announced season three, and they made a big deal about the had should have been picked up. I had forgotten that they'd never officially said that, you know, because we've been reporting that they're doing season three and that they've already started shooting it. Right, the day after they finished season two, I think. Right, which was last week. The trailer, there's a whole lot going on in this trailer. A lot more than happened, because this is actually the third trailer for the show. There was the kind of teaser, which really didn't show us anything, but you basically said time travel's coming. Then there was the second one, you know, showed us Q for the first time, but this really got into it and kind of confirmed a lot of what we knew. So at a high level, season two is, this is my sense, but the trial is continuing. Q's trial is continuing. And Q has, throws them into an alternate dystopic timeline. A totalitarian nightmare. It comes with all the tropes, you know, Nazi type rallies, big flags, everyone's wearing black, you know, everything that comes along with when you buy your, you know, totalian nightmare package and all the, all the accoutrement. And the accessories. Yes. <laughs> I kept on wondering what sends them into this alt world. You know, is Q there to help get them out of it or did Q send them in? And now Picard confirms in the trailer, it it's all Q's doing. Yep. And for some reason they have three days to take care of it. <laughs> well, well, the, well. this is a two-step process. So first they get thrown into an alternate 24th century. And then I guess they, they figure out where the point of divergence is right, and they have right. to go back and fix it. And the point of divergence, which again, we've kind of already sussed out, is modern day Los Angeles for right. some reason. Now, I had thought that there was going to be some kind of tie-in to World War III. I'm not sure that's still the deal here. I don't, I never got that vibe, but you know, your theories, even when I think they're crazy, often turn out to be true, but I, I never felt that one particularly. But something's happening in modern Los Angeles. They've got three days. So then, so, so we kind of start in, in normal 24th century. Then we hop into evil 24th century. Then we hop back to point of divergence 21st century modern day pre-world war three and they've got three days and i thought there was a little throwback in there when they show seven and rafi trying to drive a car it felt like a little piece of the action throwback to that scene with kirk and spock where kirk is trying to drive the car it was definitely that it was cute it was cute (laughs) there was no clutch because modern cars no one no one drives stick anymore but it's basically the same scene And it was cute. It was kind of couple cuteness, too. And Gerardi's trying to talk to them from the ship. By the way, you know, we see a glimpse. We're going to do a full trailer analysis and screenshots. We've done a little bit of this so far. But I feel like there's another ship going on in season two, a Starfleet ship. Yeah. Because we see some glimpses of a ship that doesn't. We definitely see La Serena, but there's there's another ship going on. Um, for sure. What I don't know is what do they take back to the 21st century? Do they take back La Serena or this other ship? 
I think there's a scene we see where they, where, cause you see Elnor fighting some Starfleet looking guys that those could be evil Starfleet guys from the alt timeline. So maybe they steal a ship. It could be. I mean, that brings up another issue for me, which is uh, who is, it seemed to me that Picard in this alternate timeline is a really bad guy. So that, you know, that Picard sees who he is in this timeline. And I think he's maybe a dictator, leader, totalitarian supporter guy. Right. He sees some, you know, picture a portrait of himself on the wall somewhere and he definitely mean yeah yeah so this is his dark side and of course this all comes to nature and nurture you know one has to wonder is this within me if i was just brought up in a different environment would i be just as evil as the rest of these people which is what makes it a little mirror university because that's yeah. kind of the whole concept of that. And, and since we've talked about time travel and we talked a little about this earlier, we now see the um, Annie wishing as the Borg Queen. Yeah. But not how we thought we would see her in that they decide to go back in time, right? As one does. <laughs> and for some reason, Picard's solution to go back in time involves the Borg Queen and looks like a captured Borg Queen. Yep. One would assume this is a captive Borg Queen from the alternate timeline. Yes. So this this isn't like the you know a piece of her they kept from first contact, for example, where they you know somehow resurrected her from that skull. So in this alt timeline, you know the evil Federation has defeated the Borg, I guess, and they use this Borg Queen to travel back in time now. Here's the question of, like, why do you need an evil Borg Queen to travel back in time? Because, as we know, there's like 500 different ways to travel through time. Yes, slingshot around the sun. There's a, there are a lot of different ways. Picard is aware of some of these ways. Although, I guess the last time he traveled through time was in Star Trek First Contact. So he's like, well, let's just do that again. You know, let's use Borg technology right, to do it Right, the Borg again. know how to do it. So <laughs> we'll go get them. But this brings up a bigger issue, which is... You mentioned the mirror universe, right? Because at some point, Picard says, someone asks him, where are we going? And he says, we're going home. But they also talk about, they've only got three days to fix the past, I think they talk about. Yes. He says, we have three days before the future is changed irrevocably. Here's the big question. What kind of time travel rules are they using? I don't know. I mean, the first thing that struck me is they, this group of people, they all seem aware of the change. Right, which is, I think, be, all because of Q. I think Seven at sometimes his time is broken, you know, but I think Q somehow allowed Picard and his team to know things have changed. And right. it's all part of his test. Okay, so Terry Metalis is the showrunner, co-showrunner, and he's huge time travel guy, right? He came from 12 Monkeys, but he's also such a Back to the Future super fan he brought in Leah Thompson to direct one of the episodes this season. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think he's restored multiple DeLoreans, um, including one of the original DeLoreans. So, you know, he is Mr. Time Travel. But is he using Back to the Future rules, which are, you know, you change something, you change the timeline? Or is he using the more modern Star Trek rules, you know, like in the J.J. movies and we saw it even... 
in some episodes of TNG, although you could say First Contact also uses the old style rules, which is the old rules are like Guardian of Forever. You change something in the past, it changes everything. And the new rules are you change something in the past, you create a new timeline. So is their goal to get back to their timeline or to fix this timeline? You know, or is this something different because it's Q? Because if you're in the mirror universe, your goal isn't to fix the mirror universe. Your goal is to leave the mirror universe. Right, right. They're in what it, something like the mirror universe. But instead of just saying, let's get, you know, because they could have gone from 24th century totalitarian to 24th century prime. But instead, they went back in time, which which implies their timeline's gone. They can't go home. Yeah, I would have assumed that. That seems to be a given to me. They're using the old rules, I guess. Or at least Q's test, because Q has manipulated this before. Because in Tapestry, yeah. he you know, he had his own kind of Q rules for time travel. So I think this is all part of the test, I guess. I mean, he's going to keep on showing up, though. right? We see him in the trailer. So he sends them off on this thing. But we know he appears in six episodes. And I have confirmed those are just in season two. So... I think he sends them off, but then he keeps on showing up. Yes. Sometimes looking like he's part of one of the organizations called Europa, the Europa mission. Which we assume is something to do with, you know, Europa, the planet, because he kind of had a NASA looking logo or something. And again, we saw the Europa mission was advertised on the side of a bus. We know we've seen them filming Seven and Rafi on a bus. And of course, also reminiscent of the voyage home where the bus pulls up and they see the aquarium advertised on the side. Funny you mentioned that. So when I talked to Akiva about this season and I asked him, you know, what came first time travel or Terry? And he said it was Terry and Terry's concept of season two of Picard was to, to basically do the voyage home for Picard to bring, you know, essentially bring a crew back to modern times, which we've seen in some episodes of Star Trek as well yeah. uh, obviously so to create that fish out of water scenario because uh, there's a lot of fun to be had like the car scene as well but that's you know because that's interesting because when you think picard you think serious and whereas when you think voyage home you think something light and fun and no one's shooting phasers the whole the trailer overall to me like i liked i thought that it was it looked very exciting and that there's lots of cool intriguing stuff happening but it also just felt i too familiar like oh we we've done some of these things before we'll see how it turns out but i was definitely a little disappointed when i saw it even though i liked all the energy of it it just felt like oh okay well we've done fixing the past we've done alternate futures we've done i don't know we'll see i think q is super important to this season i think it all comes down to what is the trial what you know how is it tied to picard personally i think the show works when there's a personal connection and an emotional connection to picard and his past and his life like tapestry for example well i was gonna say like you know again we've seen it before so that's that's my issue is that it felt too familiar to me so i'm hoping that they just come up with some really creative fun stuff uh why do you think picard was wearing a tux at some point because he likes to dress up and sneak into things and be fancy. We saw this in an earlier trailer. There was a scene where Soji seems all dressed up 
in modern day Los Angeles. So yeah, I think we're going to get a heist kind of thing, a yeah. kind of spy movie kind of thing. That that might be fun. Which again, we've seen, but that's okay. I mean, as long as it's fun, I don't care if I've seen it. So if it, there's a twist, if there's something different, if it's really entertaining, I'm in, but it just felt far too familiar. We're at 800 episodes and 13 movies. It's it, you know, this gets to the South Park joke of Simpsons did it. You know, Star Trek did it. Right. You know, there are limits to, you know, the idea is make it fun, exciting and feel refreshed and new. But uh, yeah, no, they've done everything. Star Trek has done everything. It is, but it should feel like a new take on something. There's always a new take on something. So I would. um, There's one interesting thing um, separate from the trailer which is that Annie Wershing, who actually was announced as the Borg Queen after we recorded our last episode. Um, And I'm a big fan of hers from her other work. But she posted just a fun picture of her with Jerry Ryan and Jonathan DeLarco uh, to say Happy Star Trek Day. So, I mean, I know that Jerry and Jonathan are, are good friends, but it did make me wonder when they were all three together, is Hugh, does Hugh have a role because they are messing with the timeline i say chances are better than 50 50 that he's back i hope so i really hope so by the way i tried to get out of akiva if Whoopi's back what did he say literally nothing like he and he went out of his way to stand as still as possible as soon as i brought up her name so it was kind of weird um and then he kind of had this little smile so basically they're not they're not talking Whoopi which is why I think um, she's back. So cool. Well, there are a lot of the interesting thing is there are a lot of options for her because she can be in either time period because she's old. She can have changed in some way. So um, I hope they do something cool and fun with her. Or are we going to get evil Guinan? I know there's so many options and that would be a good twist because Guinan, as we know from the past, from next generation is the one who can tell when timelines have changed. She has this sense of things. She can also tell when Q is around. So that that should be interesting if she's really there. Guinan fits perfectly into what they're doing. Yep. I, I think it's happening. I wanted to throw one other thing in there for Picard, which is that our friend Laris is there and has a nice role. So let's move on to another little show called Strange New Worlds. Oh, there was so that we didn't get a trailer, but we got an introduction to all the characters, which brought with it some big news about characters that they are now recreating. And no premiere date. So we assume this is after Picard. It's funny because you and I have talked about this a lot about who these people are uh, that they announced the cast, but they never showed us anything. They've been holding back a lot on the show. And I think now we know why. And there's two reasons one is they've changed up the look in the show, which I think we kind of knew they were going to do, but they were holding that back. So you know, even during the Paramount Plus promotional things, they kept on showing Pike in his Discovery version of the Enterprise outfit. Now they've, if they're trying to get even closer to the original series. Yeah. The, well, then the uniforms. I mean, they're more, they're sort of more t-shirt like, um, they definitely look like a uniform you would work in, like more comfortable. They just make more sense to me in case for someone who's moving around and doing their job. 
So, but this gets to they are grasping onto the original series even closer than we realize. And Akiva, you know, I did talk about the decision to do that, and he said, "Yeah, they they are trying to get closer to the original series in every way." And so, you know, the uniforms are part of that. I think they've tweaked the ship. Obviously, they've created a lot of new sets. We saw a lot of the transporter room. Yeah, and they surprised us with some of these characters. So Babs Olusenmokin is playing Babenga. That's actually pretty cool. I think it's really cool. And I and people love the character, as did I. I love that even in that little trailer, they showed a shot of the original actor, which I appreciated. But then does he get demoted when McCoy comes on board? Well, we don't know that he's the chief medical officer. There may be another doctor, perhaps. But they didn't stop there, did they? They did not. They did not. So we are going to get, well, the big one we're getting. Oh, there's, I don't even know which one is the big one because there are too many big names here. But we have Uhura, we know, is going to show up. To be specific, it's Cadet Uhura, which makes sense yep. timeline-wise. Um, and, we, you know, Tilly was a cadet. Um, we had Acting Ensign Crusher. So there's precedent, obviously. So, you know, in a way... I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. I don't. I don't have any issues with that. I mean, she wasn't. She, the, the character was was not fully developed on the original series. She had some nice moments. Um, so I I think there's lots of room there to have some fun. The actress is Celia Rose Gooding. She talked about how important it is for her to step into the legacy. She was seated at her comm station with the little silver thing in her ear. Yeah. It all looked right. And and she sings. She's a Broadway star. <laughs> right, so they got that covered. Yep, yep. Obviously, we have Rebecca Maine playing number one, although we, we got a little bit more with about her name here. Yeah, it's Una Chin Riley. So originally the character was played by Major Barrett Roddenberry. The amazing thing for this show is <laughs> they're going to have the other character played by Major Barrett Roddenberry, which is Nurse Chapel. Right. Jess Bush is playing Nurse Chapel, who, I mean, on the original series, she came on the ship when they went looking for uh, Roger Corby. But it's such a minor, I think they say it once. So, okay. So they went with adding three more. So they have three known characters. They've added three more. That's more than I was expecting. Although, to be fair, especially like Mbenga, we don't know a lot about him. You know, he's he's cool from what we've seen, but they've got a lot of room with Mabenga, for sure. Nurse Chapel, we do know a bit about, and of course, uh, Uhura as well. But I'm a little wary about, you know, so many known characters. But I guess, with you know, what they're doing is they're saying, we are, we're original seriesing, you know, seriesing as much as we can. So now it kind of all makes sense that, they are trying to bring in as many characters as they can. Now, so there's three left, right? <laughs> or four, I guess. Um, the big one is Kirk, which I think we'll never see until the final season. There's Sulu, who kind of makes sense. So they'll probably introduce him in season. Scotty, maybe. And do you think they'll bring in McCoy eventually? I don't know. I just don't want them to. I can only go from my gut and say I don't want them to do that. I I would rather that they had sort of chosen characters from the cage who we really know nothing about. Right, like Colt, 
and 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 some others. I mean, we did get some new characters, thankfully. We did, and one with a very significant surname. <laughs> right. So Christina Chong is playing La'an, with a little apostrophe in the middle, Noonien Singh. It's like you just want to drop that and let everybody think about it for a minute. Like, what? what is that? What is the relationship? Obviously, there is one. So... Oh, no, no. They're just going to have another Noonien Singh on the show. <laughs> right. That's just totally un- crazy coincidence. Like, constantly people are like, was your grandfather? She's like, nope, 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 no, no relation. You know, you'd think you'd change the name. I mean, if your name was, was you know, was Hitler, wouldn't you change it? Right? <laughs> I know I would. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, she's cool with it. Who knows what her deal is? She was wearing an operations uniform, red. Uh, so we don't know her role on the ship, but you know, it's definitely interesting. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, that one I just, everybody's wondering about. Um, we also have Melissa Navia is Lieutenant Erica Ortegas. So that's a completely new character. Uh, great to see some Latino representation. Yep, absolutely. The sense I get is security officer. She was also in Red Operations but there was something about her haircut. She's kind of got a buzz cut going and just her whole demeanor in the way they brief way they showed just. Yeah. I kind of liked her right away, even in that three seconds or whatever. There was something I liked. Um, The next one is someone, I don't think we, did we know about Bruce Horak? I don't think we did. No, they, they never mentioned him before. So maybe this was a, a later edition perhaps. Right. So he's playing a character named Hammer, and he is, I'm so glad you guys all know Enterprise better than I do because I didn't know who he was, but he's an Andorian subspecies. What are they called? Anar? The the Anar. The a, Anar. A, a very kind of a rare, blind, telepathic Andorian, basically. Yeah, like a subspecies or something. So first of all, I want to go back now and watch that Enterprise episode, but- that was an interesting one. He's clearly a crew member. And the actor himself is actually legally blind. Interesting guy. I was just looking him up. So he's also an artist. He's had work in galleries across Canada. He's Canadian. Yay. And and an actor. Kind of fascinating. And, you know, again, Star Trek finds a new way to add some representation and diversity into a cast. I think this is the first legally blind cast member for star trek and i think it's great i did kind of wonder like if he's if the species is blind like can he get a sensor web like miranda jones i mean i know we're not in visor territory yet but have they invented the dress that he could wear that would (laughs) allow him to see things (laughs) that would be great um the telepathy i think allows a level of sensing people around him yes and maybe the antenna help uh, sense objects as well. So, you know, I'm I'm sure he can get around. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sure he can. I mean, that's always the point of these things is that these people are no less capable and talented than anyone else. This panel stood out for having moments that felt like they were newsish. Um or at least they revealed a little bit. There was a lot of talk about, you know, the updated sets and about Pike's ready room is like, seems to be a 
major discussion point. In fact, Anson Mount mentioned it to me on the red carpet. He was so excited about his ready room. I guess his ready room is a basically a kitchen. He didn't say this on the red carpet. He just talked about how it's an amazing ready room. But something that Akiva said during the panel sounded like there's a kitchen element, like that he cooks for people when they come to, there's a table situation where people, (laughs) and then there's some kind of cooking situation happening as well. I think maybe I was mishearing it, but it's like a, a place for people to come together as a family and have discussions around a table. And I think eat. I actually like that idea. I was during that panel, I was, you know, doing some social stuff for Trek movie. So I couldn't focus on all of it. Um, But that sounds fun to me. I think people probably noticed the other thing, which is that Akiva talked about how one of the things they want to do on this show is pay off things that were hinted at on the original series. And then Ethan Peck talked about Spock exploring his attractions. Yes. So let's put those two pieces together and you end up with what? Well, you can end up with Spock and Uhura. Or Spock and Chapel. Or Spock and Chapel. I don't know what that does to Pond Far and all of that. So there are a lot of issues there. I mean, I got to say, like, when they talk about Spock and they keep going back to that moment in the cage when he was smiling and his emotions and all of that, I just, I feel like that's not where I would go with Spock. It well, doesn't make me happy. First of all, I think the smiley moment is not big enough to hang everything on it. There are lots of moments in the original series, even after the cage, where they kind of said something and then it didn't it didn't hold up later, which is fine. But if Spock's having, I don't know, romances and sexual attractions and I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't think it's I don't think that's it's all about that. I think it's more that he's not 100% Leonard Nimoy, and let's face it, later season one, season two, Spock, that he's still on the journey to that. Well, that's what they're saying, and that's fine. I just, I feel like they're going to go too far the other way from my particular taste, because that crew then would remember that he was that way. I think he struggles with it, perhaps. He confronts it. He deals with it. I don't think he is that way. I don't think we're going to see a lot of smiling Spock, but they're not going to ignore it. I think is what Akiva said, um, that that is part of his path. So, well, that is very diplomatic of you and I hope you're right, (laughs) but I feel, I mean, yes, that is what he said, but I, we all know that Akiva can't resist all kinds of things. So we'll, we'll see where they go with that. Uh, I do like, I like that the cast is very enthusiastic about it and i can't wait to see it just to see what they do it's such an interesting idea but i have some concerns as you know any nerdy star trek fan has concerns about things that other people just don't understand (laughs) so let's back up to lower decks which is happening now (laughs) so before we get into our review of this week's episode there was a panel not a lot was said during the panel mike talked about you know season two being the back half being bigger, uh, you know, there's an episode that's, you know, even bigger in scale, he said, than the one where they did the movie episode last, right. last season. There's going to be a lot more action. 
and you know, he implied more legacy cameos. So, you know, more of everything. But I think, and we'll talk about this later in the view, I do feel like episode five sort of closes out dealing with all the season one issues, you know, uh, you know Mariner and Boimler's issues and Tendy and Rutherford's issues. And the back half of the season just kind of explodes into them now ready to move on and have bigger, crazier adventures. Yeah, I totally um, got that same vibe. Definitely. And the trailer, so they, they have a trailer release, which is the back half trailer for the final five episodes, showed all of the crazy action happening. We see pack leads. Uh, there's going to be an episode, looks like a Star Trek trope of Mariner Boimler crashed in a shuttle somewhere. I think that's the one that has Jeff Combs in it as the evil computer or not evil, but snarky computer. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> We saw little glimpses that it was like, it looked like either they go to the mirror universe or they have a simulation. Like who knows it could be more combat training or something, but there's some kind of mirror universe moment. Old school mirror universe, which yes. makes me feel like it's it's training. Yep. We saw a little bit more of the Rutherford training. It looks like he's doing a simulation of the Spock Star Trek two scene. Yep. But then they show the Enterprise blowing up. So I think he kind of, and he says something like, I got blown up. He says it rather gleefully. <laughs> I think this might be a test because he's an engineer, right? So maybe this is required testing yeah. yep. um, that you you'd have to go through the simulation and he failed the test i guess so you know it, you know there's a lot of you know we see klingons we see people in shakespeare costumes you know yeah uh, running see, down see... the uh running down the hallway we see a pandronian which is the alien that was in the animated series episode bem more deep cuts uh crystalline entity the borg there's one moment where there's a head floating around the bridge was it tendy's head some kind of green head it's unclear what's going on because tendy's also you know uh, transformed into a scorpion at some point um you know it's it's because it's a lower decks trailer the way they do these things it's just so rapid fire they're not trying to tell you a story like the prodigy trailer is like here's what's happening you know this is just like you know this happens and then this happens and then this happens and this happens and there's no sense of what's going on except we do know that at some point they do need to cancel the ballroom dancing yes competition and it makes it makes one of the dancers very angry i guess she's been rehearsing for a while i, I wish that was jennifer by the way <laughs> it wasn't it was a human but i want to i want to see jennifer get you know Get I him. hate Jennifer just as much as Mariner does. Yeah, me too. Damn For no reason. <laughs> just know. always in the way. The difference for me with the Lower Decks trailer is I don't feel so hungry that I need to know everything. And I'm so just kind of open to whatever they're doing next. So I watch it all go by and I'm like, haha, and I point out things. But I don't have this eager need to break it all down. It's just sort of a different approach and a different type of show. But I did really like the joke that they ended it with which is when Mariner asks Boimler, right? Um, what, how phaser rifles are different from regular ones. And he's like, well, they take two hands. <laughs> I was like, that was such a perfect wrap up. And yes, this is another reason I love the show so much. So looking forward to the rest of season two for Lower Decks, not only because of this trailer and the panel, but because of episode five. Well, I think we've covered all of the fresh news, so let's get into our review of Lower Decks, Episode 
five of season two called An Embarrassment of Duplers. The aptly named An Embarrassment of Duplers. So, Tony, what's your top level reaction to this? Well, at first, relief, because last episode was not our favorite. Um, But second, joy. I just loved it. It was just a delight. It's maybe not the best of the season, but, but possibly second best. But in general, I just loved it. You know, it was just fun, light, heartwarming. And I'm a little bit of a sucker for that. So loved it. Yeah, it was like kind of adorable. Like it was, you know, the the duplers, which were obviously like a tribbles kind of update in a fun way with the best, most perfect guest star ever, Richard Kind doing the voice, just gave it this like lilt, like a lovely comic lilt the whole time. So that even when there was danger, it was just consistently funny and adorable. And everybody got a moment. So, you know, this was very balanced. It was very ensemble I mean, obviously, Brad and Mariner, as traditional, were the leads and had the biggest storyline. But the bridge crew were not shunted off this time. In fact, they, especially the captain, kind of had a, a, a probably the second biggest story with Tendy and Rutherford pulling up the rear with their own little storyline. And everything connected by... Everything connected actually by what was happening on the ship with the Duplers, which is what got everybody's story going. Yeah. So I thought that was also, I liked when, it's always funny when Tendi and Rutherford don't, aren't as aware of what's going on around them because they're very just focused on what's going on between them. But it was the Duplers that were like pushing them around the ship, literally. (laughs) So everybody got involved. But I do feel like there's some kind of theme that weaves itself throughout this episode about the characters getting in touch with their inner selves and being honest with themselves that flowed through Mariner and Boimler and the captain and Tendi and Rutherford, especially. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, I think, you know, Mariner and Boimler really are still, still maybe for the last time, maybe not dealing with abandonment issues and her big abandonment issues. Do you think that we are, that this is going to keep going or that we're near the end of that conflict. Mike McMahon you know, has talked about how season two will be quote, paying the bills for all the things that happened in season one. This episode kind of feels like it's we're halfway through season two, a, the culmination of all of that, where we've got Boimler and Mariner going head to head saying, you abandoned me. No, you abandoned, you know, it was, it's all, coming to a head and they resolved that Tandy and Rutherford kind of came to a head over Rutherford's feeling literally haunted by his, I think he referred to his old self as a ghost is, is cause he can't remember it, but he feels almost haunted by what he was. And then Tandy kind of brought him through that to say, you know, to reveal that there's nothing to worry about there. Right. Um, and so, not that we'll never hear anything about these things again, but this episode seemed to kind of deal with and move on from those issues. And then, of course, the captain, who was the hero of, you know, you know, the battle at the end of last season, this episode, she kept on bringing it up again of, you know, how this is getting her some credibility in Starfleet. And then she's now kind of, I think, realized that uh, she's still literally second class to Starfleet. 
Because <laughs> her ship isn't good enough to get her into the party. Everything kind of came to a head in this, uh, for sure. All connected by Richard Kind, who we should just talk about for a moment, because he was the most perfect choice for that character. Yeah, it's a fun fun new species, the Duplers, these little purple guys. The, the, the look was perfect. Yes. Cute and yet annoying at the same time. And he, which describes him. I've been a fan of his, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Pixar movies, everything he does. And he's so perfect for this role that it it felt like they wrote it for him. Yeah, I would love to know if he came to them and said he wanted to do something or if they just knew him and wanted to create something. But it does seem like a perfect, a perfect match. Of course, nothing makes sense about the Duplers when you start doing the math on like, how does this work? And how can a whole society like this work? And, you know, the the physics of it and how do they get them all back together again? None of that like really makes sense. But um, this is when, you know, you have to realize it's lower decks and you can't overthink these things. Right. You have to just roll with it a little bit. I also like that the solution, I mean, she solved the Duplers problem by being herself you know, and just letting herself get mad, which I thought was a nice touch. But also her her solution at the very end when the Dupler is looking for something calm to do was again, trouble with tribbles. Like I just beamed them over where there'll be no trouble at all, but beams, beaming him into the party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, def- definitely an homage there for sure. I mean, there was obviously lots of little homages, including other homages to Kirk and Spock um, in this episode. Yeah, that makes me think that maybe maybe you're right about Mariner and Boimler and that they really are tying things up nicely because now their names are scratched next to Kirk and Spock. And that is like the big Star Trek friendship, the ultimate Star Trek friendship of all time. And I just want to say this for the record. It's a friendship. People are like, oh, it's Kirk plus Spock. And and people are thinking that this is some kind of... um, you know, because you know, Kirk slash Spock fiction is super, super popular for and decades. For since the show was on the air, yeah. So I think the final shot showing Mariner plus Boimler, Kirk plus Spock is saying because again, in the just like in the last episode when someone said, "Oh, it's your boyfriend," or "No, your girlfriend," and, and Boimler goes, "Ew." No, they so, both they both go ew. Yeah, so they are friends. Kirk and Spock are friends. There is no, you know, not that you should stop writing slash fiction and have some fun with it, but uh, that is not what this show is saying. Right. It's not canon. It's just your fun fan fiction. (laughs) I've talked about this in other episodes where I like the story, but, it, you know, uh, or the 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 arc of the characters, but the story and or the humor weren't work wasn't working here. All three components are working. Good story. Good humor good character emotional beats uh, for them. And really fun details along the way from great lines to really fun uh, little things you might not notice that are happening like in the corner and different places of the screen, things on pictures behind their heads. Like it was, it was a, a rich episode. It was an embarrassment of Dupler riches because there was always just a lot going on and the lines were nice and rapid fire and fun and good and the references were there and it was just a really thought through episode I felt yeah the the visit to the station itself is you know kind of like when they visited the the museum or the collectorship it's always an opportunity uh, and we saw a lot of this in season one they 
when they visit a planet and they go to a bazaar. Just everywhere you look, there's an alien you recognize, like the aviary. You could see the bird species from the animated series, the Aurelians. Yep. Um, You know, which is super deep. And and was that, uh, here's another question of, was that supposed to be Morn in the bar asleep? No, I think there was a picture of Morn on the wall. But there was also... There was a sleeping figure. I couldn't tell if that was Morn, but there was a picture of Morn on the wall and also a picture of what looked like the ship from Explorers. The walls of the bar and just around the bar was was basically like the collector's everything. There was, you know, there was a Guardian Forever, there was a Phoenix, there was a Cisco's light ship, uh, there was A-Rex and, you know, Mress. It was literally wall-to-wall references in that bar. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to play with in there. But I think I think that a message there is that it's it's just old school Star Trek, and these were all the cool people, I guess. Going back to Kirk and Spock, although does it make sense? Because the bartender said Kirk and Spock had to party crash, but why would Kirk and Spock have to party crash? He was the captain of the flagship. No, well, that just fit in with the whole. It doesn't make sense that Starfleet would really not let people into parties based on the class of ship that they're from. It was, maybe it was different back in the 23rd century where it was only admirals. Yeah, it just, you know, I know I had a moment of like, why wouldn't they be allowed in? But then I just ran with it, especially when she said the blonde one did most of the drinking. Which, of course, sure. makes sense. <laughs> What's good about this episode, and we've seen a lot of this, I think, this season, is they're, they're doing a lot more action, and but they're having fun with it, so... The action sequence, which was lifted from Bruce Brothers, obviously. But it was still a lot of fun and a great way for us to see this station as well. My favorite part of that chase, I mean, I love a good Blues Brothers movie tribute because I love that movie. But it's just Brad calling out all the things as they're driving through them. Like, fine man's clothing! Vulcans, Vulcans, Vulcans! So I... (laughs) I liked that very much. And um, I liked the guy in the pike chair beeping that they kind of stop and then (laughs) and again like a fun make sure when you're watching this when you're watching it again as i feel like this episode um invites you to do you'll see all kinds of fun stuff in those scenes in the mall like just look at the customers in the barbershop and just just check out everything that's going on because there's always something fun and the whole reason that we're having this chase is because mariner of course used to live on the station because why not? Sure. And she's got enemies on the station, including one who set her up um, and turned her into an unwitting uh, arms dealer just so she could find the location of the party. So it all tied together. It all worked. I love that he gave them a whole bunch of uh, data bubble bath things. And then they talked about how there could be a couple of lures in there. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, now, what does the lore bubble bath smell different, or does it work different? Yeah, do you is think? it toxic? I don't know. It hurts your skin. It's the opposite of soothing. Now, you, something I thought of you at the end of the episode, or not the end, but close to the end when um, they come out of the lake at the end of the um, <laughs> chase, and Brad barfs <laughs> bubble bath and goes, "I barfed bubble bath," uh, but it was funny. And, and see, that was I, funny. <laughs> It's like, so yeah, so that barfing becomes a a regular feature of Lower Decks and there's a good way and a bad way, I guess. Yes. Rainbow's uh, good. Bubbles are good. 
Basically, if it's something that makes you think of being eight years old, then it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I, I, I knew it would have, this is Lori approved barfing. Yeah. <laughs> I also, before they even left the ship, I just love the whole scant conversation. <laughs> Brad wanting to bring the scants just in case. Maybe we should take our scant in a bag just in case everyone's wearing a scant. Because <laughs> you never know. This is this is actually important, believe it or not. First of all, I believe that's the first time the word scant's ever been used inside of Star Trek. Oh, maybe. Um, but more to the point, in season one, they wore that uniform, right? I think in the second episode or maybe the first and we assumed it was the dress uniform because it is very much like the dress uniform on Next Generation. But we saw them in a different dress uniform in this episode. So the scant is just an alternate version of their regular uniform. Right. Well, because we'd, we'd see background people on Next Generation occasionally in the scant. The difference being that on this show, when they wore scants, they also wore pants, which made it feel more like the dress uniform. But but we did see a white variant of the, the – a white dress uniform variant, which is like the first contact in insurrection uniforms. Yep. And in fact, in the party, you saw everyone else wearing that, wearing mm-hmm. that – you know, they were the only ones because – I guess California class are the only people who wear this uniform. Anyway, that was a deep dive on the scant. <laughs> and I just like Boimler at the end going, I knew we should have brought the scants. Speaking of stuff happening around the station, there was a lot of, you know, besides the uniforms, there was also a lot of stuff happening inside that party. Yes. <laughs> that awesome Starfleet party. For one minute, it reminded me of old school MTV parties, except for nobody was in uniform. But uh, we saw our old friend, who's now Captain, Captain Shelby, with our intriguing uh, first officer, which came from the original design for Saru on Star Trek Discovery. I mean, that that shows you a just crazy nerdy level that these guys are at, that they are creating characters based on something... That was a sketch and a test that they did for Discovery. Um, so, you know, whoever the artists are, I you know, I doubt it was actually in the script. Because Mike's, Mike said he often gets surprised by the Easter eggs that show up in the show because the right. artists come up with these things sometimes. So there's some serious nerds besides Mike working on the show, for sure. And we saw the outrageous Akona. Yes. As a DJ, not voiced, just right. there. Just there, which so the first thing that struck me was they kept saying Okana, and I kept saying, "Why are they saying Okana?" And then because the episode is called "The Outrageous Okona," and then I just pulled it up on Netflix and played it for a few minutes, and they all keep saying Okana, even though the title of the episode is Okona. So I figure it's a you know Mogato Gamato kind of thing. It's years later; he's changed it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> But he's still, I, we, we still think he's going to end up on Prodigy, which shows that these, Mike has talked about how there are characters that they're both using in different ways that will actually be voiced by the original actor. Right. He was on, yeah, so he was on a podcast a while back and talked about how he was on the comedy animated animated show Prodigy, and we were definitely speculating, does he 
does he mean lower decks because that's a comedy but it i think he he got into a little bit of detail about what was going to happen with his character and none of that happened in this episode. So either yes, it's prodigy or it's something that's going to happen later on lower decks, but I think it's prodigy. He was talking about. Yeah. Prodigy takes place in the Delta quadrant. They're heading back to the alpha quadrant, but that, you know, it's only like three years later than this episode. So yeah, I don't know if they're going to explain that on Prodigy, but if he's, <laughs> if he's in the Delta, like, how did he go from being a DJ at the space station to, but. Uh, or is he or just part it, of the knowledge base on the ship and he comes up and teaches them something? I don't know. Well, we'll find out later this year, I guess. Now, was there, there was a captain there who had a, a little number one? Yeah, I was very confused. I was like, there's something there that I don't get. It was cute, though. Yes. And the little number one had a big old beard. Yep. And you know, Mariner, of course, made the joke at the end of, you know, if Brad is her number one, he has to grow the beard. Yep. A very meta joke about Riker. Well, so let's look. This one was a lot of fun and it was packed with a lot of stuff. And it would be so easy just to go through and just shout out all the things that we liked. But let's just narrow that down and try to each pick just a couple of favorite things. So, so when they... S- come up with a solution for the captain to realize that the, the smart way to get rid of the duplers is to be mean to them. I like the quick little montage where you have different officers doing different things with the two best being shacks. You know. Shacks is my favorite. Your paw is weak and it disgusts me. But then Dr. Tanner knocks it out of the park with just a, a complete tirade <laughs> of, of bleeps. Um, we'd have, you know, mostly not sure what she says, except that Richard Kind goes, you, madam, have crossed the line. <laughs> <laughs> Which was maybe, I think, the best line of the whole episode, to me at least, was his line there. I, the pa was it for me. That was my number one favorite. And I had a lot of favorites. Maybe another one was, sorry, I left you at SETI Alpha. I thought there was life there, you know, <laughs> but that's mostly because, you know, we know why it, it, you have to be a Star Trek fan to think that's funny, probably, but. You know, we are Star Trek fans, so I thought it was funny. I like Tendy saying, after a hard day of working on the ship, nothing relaxes me like building a smaller version of the ship. (laughs) And her line about the DS9 model, it has an Esri. Did she say it or did he say it? I think he says it. He says it has an Esri and a Jadzia. (laughs) (laughs) Again, only funny to us. If there was too much of that, then it's, it's a knock on the show. I think this episode had the right balance of, you know, things that are only funny to us and things that are funny to everyone. Right. Like I, you know, just, I love, like, you sure this isn't a lore? A couple might be lores. And I'm thinking like what, you know, obviously any big fan gets that. And then you get to the various levels, but I'm like, you know what? First, obviously someone who's not a fan of Star Trek at all is not watching this show. Of course. Unless they're with someone that they love who is amused by it. And then they probably pick up little bits and pieces anyway. It's a, it's a minor thing, but I, I like the fact that we got confirmation that Quark is, has franchised. So, uh, cause there's a Quarks and she refers to it as a Quarks. Yeah. So that, that means me there's Quarks everywhere. And he's selling models. Yeah. So there's like the deep space nine one and the, <laughs> yeah. So he's doing really well. Yeah. Good for him. How is it that they don't bring Quark into the show within, you know, some season? He's they've got to he's got to show up eventually. Yeah, they should. And we know that uh, that Armin, as long as he doesn't have to put on the makeup, he's happy to do it. 
and he doesn't have to put on the makeup. So <laughs> that seems like an obvious one. I mean, I really liked the Tendi and Rutherford story as a story and as a character, you know, but it didn't have all, it wasn't the funniest storyline of the three. I think it was just kind of sweet. Although, you know, I did really like when they have to um, eject the warp core from their tiny ship. So they have to get the tiny keys <laughs> and there's the little tiny countdown. With the <laughs> and tiny the little voice. tiny voice. <laughs> I mean, those are dangerous models that Quark is sending out because the, the phasers work and the warp core is a tiny little warp core. Yeah, and it but, kept uh, shocking him and stuff. But I liked the way they were talking about it where she's where Tendi's explaining to Rutherford that he would restart it all the time and said it was like our social deflector dish, <laughs> like just a way for them to hang out and be left alone by everybody else. So that was, you know, that was where the sweetness came in. Yeah, I think there's a lot about there's a lot relatable, especially to a lot of Star Trek fans, about these two characters. And I think this episode really exemplified that. I think a lot of people really, you might like some of the other characters, but I think these are the characters that people have a, a bigger emotional connection with. Yeah, I think so too. And it was also, you know, we had we had Mariner and Boimler kind of resolving some of their issues. We had Tendi and Rutherford sort of helping Rutherford resolve his issues. And then this nice moment at the end where after Freeman is kicked out of the party and they're all just sitting there where Mariner comes out and kind of gives her this nice like, oh, you, you know, you bailed too. And then invites her in to drink with them. And it becomes this, you know, united crew at the it's not a loser bar because it's the Kirk and Spark bar. So it's cool. Right. They're all happy to be who they are. Right. And Freeman says something. She says, this is who I'd rather be with anyway. You know, I think they're all accepting who they are. And now we could move on to more adventures of the second class crew of Starfleet on the uh, USS Cerritos. Although it still feels like Brad is still looking to be someone else's number one. But at the end, Mariner said he is her number one. So is that her way of saying, no, you cannot leave the ship. You cannot get promoted. I'm keeping you. I think well, is. That raises one issue. Well, sort of not that and some other things that I did want to ask you about. So Brad goes along with her whole plan very quickly. And I feel like it, it made me ask a question because Old Brad would have been like, we're not going to lie to get into a party. We're not going to sneak down to the station, you know, using the transporter or whatever. And he was very eager to agree. So my question to you is, do you think that's because Brad has changed since his time on the Titan? Or do you think that's William and Brad is on the Titan? I hadn't thought of this before. I mean, yeah, because he does kind of make fun of Brad by describing Brad. <laughs> or he describes William as being a stickler for the rules and all that. So which doesn't sound like the truth, right? It sounds like that's more him. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's it's an interesting notion. Yeah, he does seem different. He's he's def Season one, Brad would have at least said something, whereas he's like, great, let's do it. Let's break the rules. Yeah, he would have had to have been dragged along more than just jumping aboard this awesome plan. I think it's more his growth than he's secretly William, the rule-breaking Boimler. The whole point of this episode was the closure on their friendship. So if that great moment of carving Brad and Mariner's name into the bar was actually 
secretly William the whole time, it it, it destroys the whole arc. No. So, so I'm going to have to say. You're going to vote no. I'm going to vote no. Because I just don't <laughs> want it to be that. Right. Although I, I can see your suspicions. Yeah. I mean, I also felt like Rutherford had moments of being not so Rutherford-like, too. So, you know, who knows? Just that, just that he was so callous with the, with the Duplers. Like, usually he's sort of a nicer, more ingratiating kind of guy. That's true. But he was getting very frustrated. Yeah, he's... he was frustrated. And actually, I mean, if you just think about it from a very human perspective, frustration is one of those things that turns people into nightmares. Speaking of their little model... Uh, it, uh, it, I like uh, the bit where Tendy pointed out that there's a mini Mariner bossing around a tiny Boimler, <laughs> which I think that was from episode one of season one, right? It, it almost seemed to be replicating a scene from the opening episode. Oh, I'll have to look again. I mean, it went by quickly and there was so much fun stuff to look at, but I can slow that one down and take a look. Anyway, it's just full of little moments that are moments of delight that are easy to remember, quotable moments. So, yeah, a great episode. Maybe it was the best episode of the season. You know, even though I really liked episode two. I really liked one and two. And I was thinking, like, I was wondering if maybe I just like this one because it's, like, cute and loving, you know, and a contrast to last week's. But the more I think about it, I think I just genuinely really enjoyed it on its own. It just had all the right balance. The right balance of, you know, Easter eggs and deep cuts versus just you know, fun gags, the right balance of character and uh, story and humor, um, a perfect guest star, you know, so just firing yep. at all cylinders. Great lines, a million great lines, a million great Easter eggs. Yeah, I would agree. Everybody has a great line. Maybe not um, Ransom. He gets maybe a couple lines in there, but everyone else I think has a great moment. Yeah. In this episode. Well, Ransom gets his hero moment of throwing the fork over his shoulder <laughs> at the very beginning. And we also see Dr. Miglamo, but he didn't say anything. No, he was just sitting in the bar at the end. Big fan of Paul F. Tompkins, so hopefully we'll get more of him. Yeah. Well, I think he was the voice of the old the old man who thinks he's going to die and then says, oh, didn't die. <laughs> that was that great. Guy, that was... I think that was just... Paul F. Tompkins. I'm not sure. It could have been a little moment, but, you know, wonderful. Another, like, great little stupid, funny nothing. Right. (laughs) And and the kind of bickering bird couple, right? The the Aurelians (laughs) from the animated series. It was almost like a 50s sitcom moment with them. Yes. It's good when the show can make moments funny where they introduce characters and they're funny and they're gone, you know, and that's it. Yeah. Um, God, can we praise this episode more? Yeah. I think let's throw some balance in. I mean, I still feel that the the Kirk and Spock thing was cute, but a little forced. It just, it was almost a little too cute. But I guess I'm allowing it because, you know, but uh, it was a little much. I think the point of it was to really establish that Mariner and Boimler have that same kind of friendship and longevity. Anything else not work for you? No, I just really enjoyed it. I could watch the Duplers <laughs> dupe all day. <laughs> <laughs> Which they do, obviously. Which they do and will continue to do. All right. No, I think that's it. I think uh, we're both very happy this week. Yep. So we're halfway through season two and things are on a great trajectory with Lower Decks. 
So that wraps up our review of episode five, season two, Lower Decks. And normally at the end of our podcast, we do, we bring up bits and talk about other things, but this is so packed that we're just going to save that for next week. Thank you again for joining us for a week. We'll be back next Friday because if it's Friday, it's all access Star Trek.